Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This week on Wealth Track, why five-star fund manager Mary Ellen Stanek is proud to be boring. The president of the Baird Funds is next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective. Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences, and the Fairhome Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. In an income-scarce world, where can you get higher returns? During the last decade of record low interest rates, many investment firms chose an unconventional route, launching more than 100 of what are called unconstrained, or as Morningstar categorizes them, non-traditional bond funds. These funds have much more latitude than traditional bond funds, enabling them to invest in many different types of bonds, derivatives, currencies. Some even invest in stocks and go short. As Morningstar notes, in a large part, these funds have traded interest rate risk for credit risk. Morningstar also comments that the array of strategies employed by these funds means that the range of outcomes can be vast. These are exactly the characteristics that this week's guest is avoiding. She is a traditional bond fund manager to the core and proud of it. She is Mary Ellen Stanek, Chief Investment Officer of Baird Advisors and President of the Baird Funds, where she oversees more than $65 billion in fixed income assets in addition to equity portfolios. Since 2000, she, along with her longtime team, has been co-founder and co-portfolio manager of several Baird Funds, including the flagship Baird Core Plus Fund, which is rated five-star by Morningstar and carries its silver medalist analyst rating. In nominating Core Plus as a finalist for the 2016 Fixed Income Fund Manager of the Year, Morningstar noted the fund has delivered strong results in a risk-conscious and consistent way, tested by bouts of market stress. In a recent Wall Street Journal interview, Stanek said, we are not here to be exciting. I asked her how she does define her investment role. Well, our reason for being is why do people own bonds in the first place? They own them for predictability, stability, cash flow, income, lower overall volatility for their total portfolio. So our job is to deliver exactly that and to be as consistent and predictable in how we execute our craft for our investors. I know one of your clients said that he views your Baird funds as being sleep insurance. (laughs) So, and you said you wear that as a badge of honor. I do. Why? I do. He said it to me and he thought, he said, you'll probably be offended. And I said, no, absolutely not. Just the opposite. Because that is what we're there to do. When you look at the landscape of investable assets, mm-hmm. 
the bond side isn't going to drive the capital appreciation. It's got other properties that you're looking for in terms of your total portfolio. And so that is exactly what we want, that predictability, that consistency. And then in our case, we want a compound consistency, and that's how our investors, if our past is any indication of our future, how our investors do very well against the capital market itself and against other alternatives. And, and ex explain what you mean by that, that compounded consistency. What, 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 what does that mean? How does that work? So we try to have very high batting averages. Mm -hmm. What we do is, is we have a product line in our Baird Funds lineup of choices along the duration or interest rate curve right. that matches investors' objectives. And so if somebody's looking for an ultra-short or a short, opportunity or an intermediate bond fund or a core or core plus, we've got distinct choices. We stay interest rate neutral or duration neutral is the concept to the capital market benchmark that the portfolio is tracking. And, and so, and what does that mean? For instance, with your, the Baird core plus bond fund, you're, you are, you're, you're, it's an intermediate investment grade bond fund. So what does it mean to be it, the, the interest rate neutral? Or yeah, so neutral? the core plus bond fund is uh, overweighted to investment grade securities, but we can buy up to 20% below investment grade. Oh, interesting. But it will tend to be an intermediate bond portfolio that, and by staying interest rate neutral, as interest rates are changing, fluctuating, going up and down, our portfolio will have roughly the same sensitivity, price sensitivity, mm -hmm. as the benchmark that the portfolio is designed to track. In that case, uh, the Bloomberg Barclays Universal Index. Right. And, uh, and, and as far as the core plus bond fund, it's the plus. <laughs> what does the plus get me versus just a core you know, bond portfolio? Well, many investors and their advisors and consultants will tell us, you know, you do yourself a disservice. It's really a core plus light approach because your plus, the plus that we use, right. is uh, high yield corporate bonds, but typically fallen angels. So these would be corporate issuers who have tipped down to a bit below investment grade. Many times, eventually, they will come back up to investment grade or be split rated. Um, and we will also use securities like non-agency mortgage securities mm -hmm. that uh, have very attractive risk-return characteristics. So it gives the portfolio, it gives us as, as investors a little more flexibility generally, and when the markets get very dislocated, it can give us a lot of flexibility to capitalize on those dislocations. Right. Now, uh, many of your uh, peers or your competitors uh, have gone kind of their plus takes a lot more risks than your light plus. Right. And uh, and and you know many firms uh, have also have created these what they call the unconstrained bond funds, and in a low interest rate environment, I'm sure many of your clients were coming to you and saying, "Look, I need yield. I need income. You know, you've got to do this for me." I mean, how did? How did you respond? I'll be very clear with investors what we're setting out to do. The cost to invest, we keep our expense ratios very low, right. competitive. Um, we keep our turnover rates quite low relative to the industry. So we do a lot of little things that don't require us to try to swing for the fences, to mm -hmm. use a baseball analogy. 
uh, or to take on a different level of risk to offset a much higher expense ratio or much higher turnover rates. So it's a tortoise versus hare kind of mm -hmm. approach. Um, but with investors, we always reminded them that we don't, in the bond portfolio, want to amplify risks that they have in other parts of their portfolio. So our portfolio is all cash bonds, no derivatives, no leverage, no foreign currencies. So it's a very straightforward, what you see is what you get mm -hmm. style of bond management. And it will, it's designed to stand up and behave exactly like you want your bond portfolio to behave, particularly into volatility and market duress. Going back to those lower turnover, we, right. always, we always think about how do we minimize those enemies of our investors' wealth? Cost to invest, turnover that can be very costly. Mm -hmm. It's All one right. of those hidden costs that's right. hard to calculate. Right. But as far as the commissions you're paying and also the taxes that right. a client. So being very miserly, mm -hmm. we, we try to do everything with this focus and alignment on what's in our investors' best interest. And that's one of them. Right. So, so how do you achieve your, your lower volatility and, and also that predictability? What kind of securities, for instance, are in the portfolio now? And as you said, your turnover is only 30%. So you're investing in securities and you're sticking with them, right? We take a much longer time horizon on right. our sector views. So how do we add the value? First, with the duration neutrality, it gives us a high probability to track the benchmark as interest rates are changing. But then we put tilts. Mm -hmm. on the portfolio. We overweight certain sectors or parts of the yield curve are underweight based on where we see values. So because we're a bottom-up manager and we're not having to do our size is a huge advantage mm -hmm. on that. We're able to source our alpha bottom-up, bond by bond. So right. how do we do it? You know, we position along the yield curve based on where we see value or where we see risk. So we might underweight certain parts of the curve and overweight others. And, and the curve being, so you're, you're talking specifically about maturities, right? Right, right. the yield curve along right. there. Um, we also then take very long-term views on sectors. There are certain sectors where we believe we're inherently better protected as a bondholder. And so right now, what, I mean, so, and, and have your views of different of sectors changed, for instance, especially in this transition period where the Fed is starting to raise interest rates? Well, we so has things changed? Well, we certainly are cognizant of the current environment. And we have to, while we don't manage the portfolios with big top-down views right. and then swing the portfolio around based on those, it does inform our risk posture and our issue selection decisions. So what are we doing? What's a sector we've liked, we like now and we've liked for a long time? Financial intermediaries, mm -hmm. banks, brokers, insurance. Why? Because we're inherently better protected as a bondholder. What do I mean by that? They have a huge incentive to remain investment grade rated. And the management team runs the company based on maintaining that investment grade credit rating. So that's where there's that great alignment from a risk vantage point mm -hmm. with our portfolio interests, our investor interests. And, but they all, so, so the financial intermediaries, are, 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 they, are they more interested in maintaining their investment grade rating be after the financial crisis, post-financial crisis? That's absolutely. They, uh, they've always had a big incentive because if you think about it, it's very hard for them to fund their operation, right. fund their balance sheet if they lost that investment grade credit rating. 
Um, so there is a, a big, very significant alignment. But uh, coming out of the financial crisis, well, there was new regulation. Yes. A um, lot of concern about the financials. And we looked at it and scratched our heads and said, that just enhanced our position as a bondholder, requiring more capital. Mm -hmm. They couldn't buy back stock or raise dividends, in some cases, without regulatory approval. They were limiting their proprietary trading. All of those things just raised the probability that we were going to be paid back as bondholders. Right. So totally different than what an equity investor would be looking Absolutely, at. Absolutely, right. because as a shareholder, you wouldn't necessarily have wanted to be a shareholder in those no, companies. No, and have no dividends and no coming stock buybacks. Out of the right, exactly. So yep. today, we still like that overweight, uh -huh. very well diversified, but one of the sectors that's been a major beneficiary of corporate tax reform has been the financial intermediaries. Mm -hmm. So we look at that and we look at that alignment both from a risk vantage point, risk management for the portfolio and the alignment of interest, but also the opportunity or the additional yield available on those bonds. And it's they tend to issue and concentrate a fair amount of their debt in the intermediate uh, space on the yield curve, which is a part of the yield curve we like to emphasize. So one of the things that we hear a lot these days is, is you know, that after this, the 40-year bull market in bonds, that bonds are extremely expensive and that they're, therefore, they're risky. What is your view of the kind of the, how do bonds look to you today? How does well, certainly the bond market, um, we're coming off, and we were talking about this earlier, we're coming off nearly a decade of extremely right. low, low or interest. zero interest right. rates on the short end of the yield curve. And so therefore bond prices were elevated. Bond prices right. were elevated, and we look back on what the Federal Reserve Board tried to engineer, and, and it worked. We'll mm -hmm. never know what would have happened right. had they not enacted that policy. But today, we look at it and we see a, a bond market and an interest rate policy on the part of the Fed that where they're normalizing. And, and what, is, what's, what is normalizing going to mean after this decade of zero interest rate policy? So normalization is just continuing to slowly let interest rates come up to a level that is a lot closer to the level of inflation. And inflation, one of the big conundrums has been where is the growth? Where is the inflation? Mm -hmm. We're at near full employment levels, but why aren't we seeing that typical push in terms of inflation? And we set it up in our minds as this tug of war between cyclical forces versus the secular headwinds. And the cyclical forces are things where the economy has moved and strengthened from a 2% run rate up into the 3% mm -hmm. range but still not roaring way ahead. Inflation had been running very low and is slowly starting to come up, although Jay Powell regularly cites, but still not at the 2% level. That they're targeting. That, that, they're, they want. Ta that they're targeting. And right. so the, as you look at it, you've got these cyclical pressures now with closer to full employment levels um, where they are starting to build a bit but not anywhere near where people had worried and feared and would have thought given past cycles. And we think part of the, the key to unlocking the conundrum is the secular headwinds. You've got aging populations. The demographics are a huge force and have many, many, many uh, primary and secondary impacts. Mm -hmm. One and of explain what, what some of the impacts are of a, of a 
of the aging demographic. Aging populations, you tend to consume differently. Yeah. They don't nearly consume at the same level, and they certainly consume very differently. We're seeing an aging population, not just in the United States, but most of the developed world and many of the emerging markets mm -hmm. are aging. China is certainly Absolutely. Prime and so as people age, they also have, seem to have a preference to stay in the workforce longer. Some of it is lifespan has been extended too. And so to retire at 62 or 64 or 65 is fairly early mm -hmm. relative to a lifespan that could go well into their 80s mm -hmm. or later 80s or, or 90. So you're seeing for a lot of different preferences. Some of it is lifestyle. Some of it is economics. Many people are not fully prepared financially right. to retire. And some of it is they're uncertain about the benefit picture for healthcare benefits. So they want a little more flexibility, but they're willing to stay in the workforce longer. And providing additional uh, talent at the human capital level that otherwise has not been in the past. The other big force, huge force, is the substitution of technology for labor. Right, which, which is again deflationary or disinflationary. Disinflationary right. and continuing to find innovation. The innovation is just amazing. Uh, every day it seems you read a new discovery and I, I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, there's a research team that has been working on a new discovery on corn that could absolutely change the economics. But, but given those, the, 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 the secular picture, which sounds like it is disinflationary, I mean, are we in a new era of, of lower inflation? And, uh, and also, how does that uh, affect you as a bond manager, what does that we, you know, we, mean for your strategy? Sure, we do think that it means cycles will probably be longer. Mm -hmm. um, economic cycles economic will probably be longer. Economic cycles will be so longer. Not the the highs won't be as high and probably right. the lows won't be as low. Um, and it will allow for these gradual moves um, that that our Fed talks about. Right. And so it is, the, it, things are different this time, and we think those secular forces are creating a differentiation that you can't ignore as, a, as any manager or any investor. And is it presenting different opportunities for you? Uh, you, you mentioned financial intermediaries being one of the, the overweights that you have in your portfolios at Baird. What are some of the other opportunities that are being created by this sure. right, new well, environment? So there's sometimes the opportunities are things we choose not to own oh, interesting. or right. underweight. So as the Fed normalizes their balance sheet, it's not just interest rate policy that they are in the process no. of normalizing, but coming out of the financial crisis with quantitative easing, they kept purchasing large amounts of treasuries, treasuries and mortgage-backed right. securities. Today, they own nearly a third, call it rough and tough, close to a third of, of the mortgage market, available mortgages. As they unwind that, that position, it will have some ramifications. Right. So we're underweight pretty significantly um, agency mortgage-backed mm -hmm, securities mm -hmm. in our portfolios. We've got about 75% of the weight of, of our benchmarks. Which because there are going to be too many of them, and therefore the well, price and the is really price depressed. Will, or, yeah, the price right. will, the spread has to widen. The price right. will, will uh, need to adjust. 
as the private sector has to come in right. and pick up that additional supply. So the bond market is just like any other market. It's driven by supply and demand characteristics. We try to pay a lot of attention to that. Going back to the aging populations, mm -hmm. uh, generally with aging populations, they will migrate to more bonds, yes, not fewer bonds. So the great fair market that so many talk about is interest rates rise, people will, we believe, be driven towards the bond market in search because it will of be more, more yield, uh -huh. more cash flow. Right. They've been yield starved for yes. nearly a decade. And so that's, we think the, the, it makes for a good drama and a good story, and it gets, continues to get some legs. But we think you really need to unpack it and, and look at the details. We, one of our colleagues calls it the lemons versus the lemonade. And what he means by that, I think it's a great way to think about it. As interest rates rise, the lemons part is just the pure math behind bonds. The interest rate rises, the price, price falls. Goes, right. But the investor then earns a higher yield for a longer period of time, mm -hmm. which that math is pretty compelling for mm -hmm. investors. So we, we think the details matter. Yes. It always matters. So what, what kind of income do you think that we can realistically expect over the next you know, couple of years? Well, what's From an intermediate term investment grade bond, sure, for instance. Sure, right now, because of the way the yield curve has been flattened, short bond portfolios are yielding over 3%. Mm -hmm. um, right. Very attractive when you think about the level of risk you're taking versus the opportunity set. Right, so, so a, a, up to a two-year maturity, you're getting th you know 3% or more, whereas the 10-year treasury, for instance, is around 3%. It's so. around 3%. Right, so you're so not getting paid for that long maturity. To take it. Now, if right. you're a very long-term investor, you know, certainly trying not to time all of this, usually investors get caught up and get, is it, the interest rate time, the difficulty with interest rate timing is you can get one part of that decision right. You can shorten right now, mm -hmm. and that all seems so good. And then you forget to go back the other way, and you get a very inconsistent return pattern. And most investors don't do as well as they would have if they had just picked a really good offering to start. Right. Low fee, low turnover, predictable and stayed there and let that compound. And then you're saying, once you found that, stick with it, right? So, right. so, so what is it that bond investors should be looking for? So, you know, stepping back, you need to look at what's your reason for investing. Right. So really matching that objective and that time horizon with the investment itself. And then also doing the gut check. How comfortable am I staying with the investment right. when things aren't working out so well, where it gets more dicey and more volatile. Right. It's, it's know thyself as an investor because if you don't and you get caught, you'll bail Most out probably important. at the wrong time. Most important. Um, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. For a long-term investor, for your fixed income or a portion of your fixed income, really the core of your core, uh, look for a high-quality offering, see how it behaves during up markets, down markets. The, the data will show up capture, down capture, what kind of turnover rates, what kind of value add is there. 
Um, and there are several good offerings out there. And you're talking now about bond mutual funds, right? Bond mutual funds, but uh, low expense ratio ones. What about ETFs, bond ETFs? What's your view? Bond ETFs, you need to do your homework because philosophically they sound so attractive, but often they do not track the underlying index. Mm -hmm. You need to understand how they behave, particularly during periods of volatility. Um, and so that would be our, our caution. Right now, opportunistically, a couple of comments. I would say short uh, bond portfolios with uh, heavy weighting to well-diversified corporate bonds, given the flat yield curve and the, the spreads widening this year, very attractive. Oh, that's so interesting. So, Marilyn Stanek, thank you so much for joining us from Baird for the first time on WealthTrack. Thank you. Great to be here. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is make sure you understand your reason for investing. Mary Ellen Stanek put it succinctly. Figure out your investment goals, saving for a house, paying for a college education, retirement, all of the above. Then match those goals with time horizons and the appropriateness of the investments themselves. Can they realistically deliver on those goals? And equally important, what she calls her gut check, can you emotionally stick with those investments in down periods? No matter how long you've been investing, periodically reviewing your goals and the likelihood of your investments meeting them is a good exercise. Well, next week, five-star fund manager Michael Testorf makes the contrarian case for investing overseas, even as the U.S. economy and markets outperform. Meanwhile, in our exclusive extra feature, Mary Ellen Stanek explains why research shows that women bond managers and mixed-gender teams outperform men. We look forward to hearing your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for watching, have a great weekend, and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.